The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about the gift of suffering. And I know that that might sound like uh, a contradiction in terms, but indeed, today's guest um, is an example of how that can be true, how suffering can turn into, go from the bleakest moment in your life to something that, has, that you learn a lesson from and that you can turn into something really positive. Um, my guest, Dr. Nikhil Josh Joshi, um, is the author of a book called The End of Suffering. It just came out. And I, I will let him tell you his story. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go on. Uh, Josh, Dr. Joshi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Lieberman. Um, let's start, you know, for, it's called Dr. Carol's Couch, and I often will have my guests, um, put their feet, besides my listeners putting their feet on Dr. Carol's Couch, I have my guests put their feet on my couch, and start with, <laughs> Start with their life. Um, I mean, obviously, we're going to be, you know, there's a clue that there's some suffering that's going to be coming. (laughs) But before we get to that, I would like people to know um, who you were, um, you know, and how rosy your future was before this event happened. Because that's, you know, that that is really one of the interesting phenomena that that we can talk about um, that... Uh, people, it often happens that when someone is at the rosiest or most optimistic or what seems like the best time in their life, like nothing is going to go wrong, that that's when their world falls apart. So let's start with, let, where, let's start with you being born and, and growing up. Well, uh, I guess that's a great place to begin. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in a, in a wonderful family. So there's my mother, my father, um, both uh, who are doctors. Uh, my father's an internal medicine specialist. My mother's a PhD. And there's my brother in my family. So there's four of us. We grew up in a small town uh, on the east coast of Canada and uh, had a lovely sort of idyllic childhood and couldn't ask for much more, played some hockey. I know that might be strange to many of your listeners, but uh, it's, it's one of the only sports we can really play here year-round. So uh, I did a bit of that. Uh, and then as time went on, I did my undergrad, all those things, became, a, uh, became enrolled in, uh, internal, in uh, medicine uh, in my uh, home university, became a doctor, started working, met a girl, fell in love, got engaged. Why did that go so quickly here? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you were, and you were in your residency, you're in mm-hmm. internal medicine, in a hospital in Canada. Yes. Okay. And um, tell us about the girl. 
so, you know, the girl How was, old were you when you met her, and where did, how did you meet, and so on? I think, uh, so we met uh, when I was 23. Uh, we, were, uh, we were both in medical school together. Uh, she was a year below me, and uh, we started dating. And uh, we had a really, you know, we had a wonderful honeymoon period. We had a wonderful first year. I loved uh, that we both shared a passion for medicine. I enjoyed uh, that, you know, our schedules really sort of lined up together and that we were, we were very complimentary for each other. Uh, we liked to laugh. We enjoyed many of the same things. So it was one of the most, you know, it was really probably the most serious relationship of my life up to that date. And it was the, you know, it was the most open I think I'd ever been. Hmm. And so how long after you met did you get engaged? Uh, I'd say about a year and a half. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's a reasonable <laughs> amount of time to wait. Yes, <laughs> yes. So you were pretty sure by then. Yeah, I was pretty sure by then. And so then what happened? Then I think I, think I may have been sure, but we were always fragile. I think that was the big thing, and I think many people can understand that that you can be with somebody and you can love them, but you can realize that that whole relationship is fragile. Yes. And, and you wonder, and you wonder every day about how can, what can I do to strengthen this? Yes. What can I do to make this last? What can I do to make this better? And I think what we started doing was compromising for each other. I think we started to try really hard to make each other happy, and I don't think it was our natural bend. I don't think, you know, I, she loved dogs. I didn't, <laughs> and I think that was a big thing to her in her life. And that's just one sort of example of, you know, if we never had a dog. I think that, you know, that affected her. I, and I'm just using that as an example to say that sometimes we compromise, and in the compromise, we hurt ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so what finally happened to break it off? I, I think we went through a few months of just being unhappy together. And I'm sort of old school in that once you're committed, I'm sort of, you know, your hands are tied to the steering wheel and you see the whole thing through no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, and get whatever help you can. But that you're committed for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think it was actually quite kind of her to break it off because it really spared me a lot more suffering that could have gone on for many years and obviously spared her some as well. And so, so what, was, what did she say? I mean, what, what was the final straw? I think the, I think the final straw was really the realization that neither of us were going to make each other happy. But it, was this, it was this struggle that we had to try and please one another, but especially what around, she... you know, our, our marriage, especially around a wedding. Well, did I you think... start planning a wedding? Is that what happened? I, you know, well, we've been planning a wedding for some months, and uh, I think what was difficult about it um, was that, I guess essentially, we wanted really different things. 
But I mean, what, so what was the final day? I'm trying to get to what, you know, did she walk the into fi- the room okay, one day the and say, day, that's Carol, it? Is, what? is me in a car with her in a coffee, you know, in the parking lot of a coffee shop. And we're trying to talk. And I just turn to her and say, I just, you know, I, I've been so miserable. And, like, I've really just tried my best to make you happy, and I know you tried your best to make me, and I just don't think we're supposed to be together, is what she told me. Huh. And I said, and I said, this is, you know, I said, this isn't what I want, I, you know, like, I want us to make it, I want to be there through everything, and like, this isn't the way it's supposed to end. Yeah. And, and then she put the ring back in my hand, huh. and I knew at that point that it was over because once that commitment's broken, mm-hmm. right, once that initial bond is gone, it's done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the, the reason, yes, that sounds, you know, what a, after all you, that you had been through in so many romantic moments, what a uh, disappointing way for it to end in the car in front of a coffee shop, you know. But it, I guess the the there's main... probably no nice way for it though, is there, <laughs> Dr. Lieberman? Is there, well, you know, know, like You're if it was a Disney World, would I have been, been happier? <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why I wanted you to to you know to why I was asking you all these details mm-hmm. is because of what happened next, and you'll tell us what happened next. And and I have a theory about this, and I, I'm wondering if you also know about the research and the literature and so on. Um, how the two things are related. So tell us what happened next, and how long after she gave you back the ring did it happen? So uh, after, after that happened, I think I was really struck with a very important choice. And that choice was, do I either shut down and lick my wounds, or against all odds, do I sort of open again? And I, what I mean by that is, Whenever anybody is hurt, and I think this is a natural instinct for animals and humans alike, whenever we are hurt or we're in pain, the natural instinct is to protect ourselves and close in and go within ourselves. And I was lucky enough to realize that that was a terrible idea, that that is a terrible idea. Really, when we're hurt and, you know, when we're lovesick, that's the time when we have to sort of open to the world we have to open to compassion. We have to open to caring. And so I went to work. You know, I went to work. I didn't take time off. I didn't run away. I went to work, and I just buried myself in other people's problems. I, you know, I was in the hospital. I stayed there as long as I could. I stayed with the families, and I cared. And I really found that that compassion helped heal me and my willingness to just do the whole thing again, you know, against all odds, to try and love somebody again was really important because that helped other people come into my life. And nothing that was as monumental as what I had previously shared, but enough to let me know that, you know, people care and, and, and the world's a good place. You know, it's, it sucks. It sucks to be broken up with, but I wasn't the only one who was hurting in the world. I mean, I could just look at my patients and see well, that. Okay, but wait, Dr. Joshi, we're heading mm-hmm. towards 
I will head. I will head you there. I will head you there, Carol. I promise. <laughs> I mean, so this then, is all the warm, fuzzy stuff. But <laughs> I know. All right. I will. Head, I'll, I will give you the dark cloud that you were searching for. So then, after all this, after conquering all that, getting through all that, I feel the left side of my neck. And when I feel the left side of my neck, I feel a bump. And I've been feeling this bump for six months. And I went through the differential diagnosis in my wait, head. Wait, 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 wait. Six months starting when? Before you had been broken up with or just No, no, probably after I'd been broken up with. After. So uh-huh. it was, uh, I found it out in September. I think we broke up in January. Yeah, so just a little bit afterwards. You broke up in January, and then the next September is when you first felt the lump? Yep. Okay. You no, know, when I uh, when I knew the lump was something serious. Okay, but when did you felt the lump in March? Okay. All right. So go ahead. So March, you know, I feel a bit of a lump. Not a big deal, right? It can be lumps can be anything. Especially being a doctor, I was on guard for myself, being you know extra. I don't know, anxious, hypochondriac, yeah. maybe. So. I left the lump, right? I left that lump, and I said it was probably just an inflamed lymph node or no big deal. And, and this September, is where you know, that thing is still there. Okay, and now we're getting the signal that we need to take a break, and this is kind of a, a cliffhanger to, uh, to leave it on, so let's, let's stop there. My guest is Dr. Nikhil Joshi. His book is called The End of Suffering. We're just getting to the beginning of his suffering. <laughs> but we will get to the end by the end. Um, you're listening to Dr. Carol. I mean, I shouldn't. I feel, I feel bad laughing about this, but you've obviously no, come out no, of it I very like, well. I like that you do. You what? I like that you do. Okay. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we will be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking about the gift of suffering with the author of a new book called The End of Suffering, Dr. Nikhil Joshi. And we left Dr. Joshi um, 
at the point where after January he had uh, his fiance had broken up with him, the, the woman he thought was the love of his life. And then in March he was telling us about how he felt a lump on the side of his neck. And, you know, as, as mo- a lot of doctors do, um, we kind of come up with all kinds of rationalizations for, you know, for a symptom and how it can't be serious, denial. <laughs> and then in September, you decided to have it di- diagnosed, to look into it. Is that right? Well, actually, I, uh, I walked over to my father, uh, who is also an internist, uh, who's a specialist in internal medicine, and I said, uh, Dad, feel my neck. And uh, this was after dinner, so Dad felt my neck, and then his face goes ashen. Huh. And he said, how long has that been there? And I said, six months. And he yelled at me. He said, six months? And I said, okay, yeah, God, Dad, yes, it was been there for six months. And he said, I'm not trying to scare you. It's just the last time I felt that somebody had cancer. Huh. And uh, so I went to my family doctor and uh, went to my hematologist, and uh, I had cancer. And it was Hodgkin's stage 2A. Hmm. Which means, could you explain what that means? Sure. So that means that, the, that my lymph nodes, uh, which are in everybody's body, the ones in my neck, had a malignant cancer in them, and it was uh, limited to both sides of my neck. It hadn't yet spread down to my lungs. Hmm. And they, you then underwent what treatment? So I went, uh, underwent four cycles of uh, ABVD, uh, so chemotherapy, uh-huh. a particular type of chemotherapy. Now that was how long ago? That was, uh, my last treatment was January 10th. Of? Of uh, this year. Of, uh, oh, of 2014. Yep. And you've already gotten a book out. That's impressive. Um <laughs> I had a lot of time between chemo to write, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, because what? Did you, um, did you stop work as a, I mean, I guess from what you're saying, you stopped work as a, as a resident. I did. I became did. a patient. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, not, 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 the, not what one would choose. Um, and in order to be able to go through the treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you also, did you do anything besides chemotherapy? Like, did you do guided imagery or... Uh, was, so there was, there was a PET scan that was, in, that was involved, but in terms of treatment, no, it was just uh, straight up chemotherapy. Uh-huh. I mean, you didn't go into like regular therapy or? Uh, no, I don't think there, I mean, it was more I mean, psychotherapy. Pardon me? Psychotherapy. Psychotherapy? Mm, no, actually, but I, uh, I think I found my psychotherapy. I started writing, I started writing a blog um, that was called the uh, the Doctor C blog that was uh, and did a radio show out here that was basically chronicling my time with lymphoma and and how it was and and what cancer was like for me as a physician. That was that was very um, and that's what you're still doing with this book, um, you know, from the blog to the book and and the radio mm-hmm. and so on. Um, okay, well now here this is I don't know. Um, you know, getting back to being what you called lovesick, um, mm-hmm. here you had, you were saying during the break that you had already uh, picked out a date for your wedding and a place for the wedding. So it was pretty, you know, it, it had gotten pretty far. And oh, yeah. um, do you, So are you familiar or did you make your, become, did you read about, I'm sure you read about a lot about cancer during the time that you were being treated, right? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, did you read about some of the studies that talk about how uh, loss, whether it's someone dying or losing love, uh, losing a lover, you know, uh, some kind of loss is frequently at the root of um, cancer? And I didn't read that about cancer, but I did know that about heart disease and heart attacks. And frequently, you know, I frequently would see that see people die of a broken heart. Yes, yes, that happens also, right, specifically a broken heart. And, and with cancer, it's related to the loss mm. and, um, and depression, the, the loss that then causes depression. Mm-hmm. And um, I, there, have, there have been studies about that, and... And I have seen that actually in in patients. Um, for example, a woman who uh, just recently there was the story of a woman whose husband had um, uh, started having an affair during their marriage, and um, then told her about it, or she found out about it. Somehow she knew about it, and then he told her that he wanted a divorce. And um, they got the divorce, and soon after the divorce. I mean, and of course, it took many months to, you know, this whole process took quite a long time, just like you were talking about how you were unhappy. Even before the breakup, mm-hmm. you were unhappy in the relationship for quite a while. Um, so the woman's husband asked, got a divorce, and uh, it was, a, you know, an amicable one in the sense that he tried to be, he was fair to her, he tried to keep it friendly, but she knew, you know, that she, he had been having an affair and that he, mm-hmm. he was leaving her, basically. Mm-hmm. So... She soon after this whole process, you know, the the, um, the when the divorce was final, she started feeling really tired, and um, she was started staying in bed a lot, and she lost a lot of weight, and finally, um, someone uh, made her go to a doctor to get a checkup, and sure enough, uh, it turned out that she had pancreatic cancer, and wow. she died soon after. Don't. That that's terrible. So it's you know I mean that these are you know that's just an anecdote, but there really have been studies about this, which is why I guess my the take home message that I would like to give to my listeners is um, that if there is some kind of loss in your life, whether it's a breakup or whether it's a um, I mean not you know not every breakup. I don't mean to I don't mean to create a panic here, but you know a real a, a love that you've been really invested in and and that you did think was the love of your life, um, or if somebody dies, a parent dies, or a sibling dies, or there's some kind of major loss in your life. First of all, it's a should be an alarm to tell you, or a signal, a red flag to tell you that you should take extra special uh, care of yourself. You know, absolutely. With, with eating and sleeping and doing all the take, taking vitamins, all the things that you know that we should be doing every day anyway, and, um, and to get a checkup, um, to be very much on alert for any kind of bumps or lumps or anything that seems strange that's a change in your body. Um, because it, I, I, there have been too many examples of this, and as I said, studies that came up with it before I started looking for examples um, that really have, have shown this to be so. So okay, so now, so so, how did you go from? Um, tell us about how. I, I know you have a one, one of your one of the things that you talk about is to, or that you write about is to, um, is that people should feel um, should give in sometimes, should, should um, indulge themselves in 
in, in feeling sorry for themselves or being angry and so on. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, I mean, I, I understand how we might phrase it as indulging that, but I, I think what I try to say is let's be real. All right, and that's actually one thing that I noticed from listening to your show, actually, is why don't we just not lie to ourselves and to others? Why don't we just say, this thing happened to me and it sucks? Instead of, this thing happened to me and I'm totally fine, it's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. Instead of pretending, because when we deceive ourselves, we really perpetrate the worst deception possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this thing happened to me and it was terrible. And then, you know, my breakup was terrible. And then I had cancer and that was terrible. And I gave myself time and allowance to feel bad or to at least say to myself that this event occurred to me and it's and it sucks. And did you lose your hair from the chemotherapy? Oh yeah, I lost my hair. I'm not all of it, but uh by the end of it, I yeah, by the end of it, by Christmas, I was wearing a hat. <laughs> well, did, um, how, what, how did people at, at your, um, in, your, in your residency react? I mean, you had... I think they were, yeah, they were so supportive. They were incredibly, they were, we were an incredibly tight-knit group, and they realized that if this happened to me, it could happen to anybody. Yes. And, and our sort of awakening other physicians to our own impending mortality, I don't think it's ever nice, but it's a sobering wake-up call to sort of take life a little bit less seriously. Well, or, yeah, you mean like like don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, don't sweat the small stuff, exactly. <laughs> um, yes, it is always... Um, I, I in my um, uh, residency there was um, a resident who died of cancer, and it is. I mean, as doctors, especially as interns and residents, we have kind of a we go into a denial because or a separation. You know, these are the pa- I'm the doctor, they're the patients, mm. and I'm not going to be. You know, as long as I'm the doctor, I'm they're safe. They're sick. I'm not. Say that again. They're sick. I'm, they're, yes, exactly. They're sick, and I'm not. That's yes. the the sort of paradigm we create. Yes, and so when it does happen to someone, you know, it, it kind of steps over the this um, through the shield, you know, through this invisible shield. It is a wake up call. It is, um, you know, some shocking to to people. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and what else? I mean, what other kinds of um, what else did you have to go through? I mean, besides, before the good stuff, doing the radio show, hosting a radio show in Canada, uh, you, be, you became a cancer celebrity. Tell us, well, tell us about that. So, I guess the I guess it struck a chord, and uh, I recently wrote uh, an article for the Huffington Post in America that's mm-hmm. about. Ten things to say to uh, ten things not to say to a cancer patient, mm. and five things you can say. So that was the original, you know, that was sort of the the original material that really resonated with people. That um, that that I guess sort of launched me into the radio. And then once I became, once I started doing it, and this was between chemo, so I'm getting chemo on a Monday. You know, I, I, and I'm out for a week, but I've pre-recorded shows that are going on live to air. 
And then there's a week where I, I feel okay and I'm out and about and people see me and they say, aren't you the doctor who had cancer? Huh. And uh, it was really nice in the beginning. It really was. It was, it was touching. People told me their stories about how their lives were affected. They, they shared their prayers for me. I was touched. But then as I kind of went on, and oh, well, wait, the, let's, the chemo wait, got worse. Let, wait, yeah. wait, wait. <laughs> on that, we will go on when we, after the break. Um, my guest uh, is the author of the new book called The End of Suffering. His name is Dr. Nikhil Joshi. And you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll be right back. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about the gift of suffering. And my guest, Dr. Nikhil Joshi, has actually been giving us a gift and uh, giving the rest of the world a gift in his book, The End of Suffering. Um, Dr. Joshi, before the break, you were talking about how at first you were, it was, people were very supportive. They read your Huffington Post article. They had you be host a series on the radio, which must have been really difficult to do dirt while you were, while you were, uh, going for chemotherapy treatments and talking, giving, uh, updates about your condition. And then you started to say how it turned at some point. So what was that? I think that was me getting tired. I think that was the duration of my illness. I think that was the isolation of cancer. Hmm. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel normal often, and uh, by the end of it, you kind of feel like a fish in an aquarium, hmm. and everyone says how pretty that fish is, but, you know, you'd rather just be a normal person. Uh-huh. I think that was the, you know, I... I remember acutely one day um, being told by my doctor that uh, you know one of the one of the places I wanted to go one of the I wanted to go visit my friends after all the chemo was done and they uh, happened to live 
uh, quite far away in uh, in Nepal, which is you know a developing country, poor tuberculosis left, right, and center. And my doctor telling me, you know, even after the chemo's over, like you can't go, you you can't go for months. And it was a re- it was that moment kind of sinks in my brain uh, as a time when I think I finally became a little fed up. Uh huh. And that being a cancer celebrity wasn't all it's cracked up to be. No, it wasn't all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> um, and you, you're, and yes, I actually wanted to bring that up. You had friends in Nepal because you had done some volunteer work. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah, a lot. I would, uh, I'd go there, you know, once a year, and we would usually try to find one or two children who who needed some health care. And so it wasn't. You know, it wasn't Doctors Without Borders. It wasn't anything, you know, I put on the CV. But, you know, every year I try to do a little bit for somebody there in need. You mean you would go on your own? Oh, I would go, uh, I would go to um, one of the schools that were run by one of my friends there uh, who looks after orphans. Uh-huh. And uh, he has a school that, uh, and so we would go there and he'd pick out uh, a few kids who were having trouble and, uh, yeah, I would try to help them with the help of a local Nepalese doctor. Huh, wow. And you also went to Ghana and um, Kathmandu. Yep. And, you know, which is kind of uh, another example of bad things happening to good people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here I you were. I think bad things happen to all people. What? <laughs> yes, bad things, bad things happen to all people. That's people. true. Even to bad people. <laughs> but, I mean, people. it's just that, you know, it's just that, as we were talking about at the beginning of the show, that life was, was kind of rosy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and did you have that feeling, actually, that, um, you know, between having a really warm and wonderful childhood and, and getting into med school and being in a residency and having a fiancé and, and all of that, did you, before the, well, I mean, I guess before the diagnosis came the breakup, but, I mean, did you have this feeling at some point that, that things were going to be, Wonderful and and um, and I mean I guess it was kind of over time the breakup and then the cancer diagnosis. But did, did you know what I what I was talking about at the beginning? How sometimes when things are going super well, we we get lulled into believing that that's how it's going to always be. Did you have that? I think I I definitely had that, but I. And, and then I had the other extreme. Then everything bad happened. and I thought things will never be good again. Mm. And now I kind of see that things are the way they are, and you make the best of what you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't believe anymore in that, in that sort of that rosy picture. I, I, my life now post-cancer is happier than it was before all of these things happened because I really, like, I really like being alive. Like, it's really, it's really good. I really like not having chemotherapy. It's a it's a sublime joy just to not suffer. Uh huh. And um, and I guess that that's part of what you. I, I, I mean, I know, and, and you. I, I guess I'm sure that that's also what you're trying to get across to people that so many people walk around. And I, to, to some degree, we're all 
guilty of this, that sometimes we walk around sort of doing things automatically and not really appreciating all the good things that we do have and not mm-hmm. really thinking, especially like not thinking, oh, I'm alive today. <laughs> That's yeah. a wonderful thing. We just kind of take that for granted. We do. And when we, when we take that for granted, it doesn't matter what good things you have in your life. You know, you can have as much money as you want, as much, you know, a, a great car, whatever, if you, if you don't have joy at the, you know, at the small things, if, if you don't, you know, you won't, if you don't have that joy for that magnitude, which is, you know, your human life, there's not, like, nothing else is going to buy that for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being grateful and for being alive. Yeah. Um, I mean, you do stop short of telling people that they should get cancer. Right? No, no, yeah, for feeling. sure, for sure, skip that. <laughs> <laughs> and what? Um, so, what do the doctors say about? I mean, what is the? You still have to keep going for checkups periodically, right? Oh yeah, I missed the one on Monday, but yes, I uh, I do. <laughs> well, I do, happen? and you know, I still feel my neck. Right, every day I feel my neck. Uh-huh. I wonder, is there going to be a bump there? Is my cancer going to come back? You know, recurrence, I think, is a big fear. So I don't want to give anyone the impression that I'm, you know, walking on a cloud and I think mm-hmm. life is rosy all the time and I'm just so grateful to be alive. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm scared and I, I think I will be for, for a long time. But I'm scared because I've got something. Mm-hmm. Well, so what, how often do they want you to come for checkups? Once every three months. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, uh huh. And 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 that's it. That's all that you that you just need to. Uh, they they do a physical and they do a blood test, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and they just and that's for the for the foreseeable future. That we're, that's what you're going to have to do. Absolutely. And so, when did you go back to work? I went to work. One month at the end of my chemo, so uh, I think February 10th. And I, I understand that you're going to be um, you're specializing in rheumatology. I'm going to yeah, I'm thinking about rheumatology as well as allergy and immunology. Uh huh. I mean, this didn't cause you to want to go into oncology. No, no, thank you, thank you. I think, I think lung the, cancer experience is just fine. <laughs> that would be the last thing? <laughs> That'll be the last one, yeah. I, I appreciate the work they do, no doubt, but uh, it's a little close to home for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, well, what... What else would you um oh I know that also you talk about how ten step programs to get rid of grief don't work. So mm-hmm. and it's okay to be angry and wallow and give in. We start we were talking a little bit about that before. did you go to a ten step program? I, I don't really like wallow and give in, Carol. I'm not like that's not that's not my banner. My banner is be be real. Um and and no, I I didn't go to a ten step, but I went to my, my bookstore and I went through you know, those 10 steps for when you have cancer or, uh-huh. you know, 10 steps for getting over a breakup. None of that, like, <laughs> none of all that stuff, like, uh, really? Come on. Like, it's not, it's not a stepwise process. It's a, it's a dynamic thing, and it's all about us just being vulnerable, being open to that vulnerability and working past it. And, and as you were talking about before, about opening yourself up and... and 
um, appreciating, appreciating, being more compassionate yourself, and and that having its rewards. Yeah, absolutely. So, what about um, what would you say? Um, well, to get, you were mentioning about the the uh, ten things not to say and five things to say. That would be helpful mm-hmm. to know. What what are some of the things not to say to a cancer patient? So, some of the things I think not to say uh, to a cancer patient is uh, sometimes uh, people will ask, are you going to lose your hair? Like, <laughs> like I yeah, just okay, did. Okay. Lose, <laughs> like, yes, I don't need you to bring that up and remind me of it. I'm going <laughs> to lose my hair. And then uh, some people also say, well, would ask me, they say, like, have you heard from your ex? Huh. And I was kind of thinking, you know, really, it's right now, I got cancer. Do you need to remind me I just went through a breakup? Is that, like, is that going to help me in the least? <laughs> And then I know, in, I know in America this is big as well. There's a lot of natural health movements. I have a lot of friends who do a lot of different things, and they said, you know, are you sure, you're, are you, sure you want chemotherapy? Are you sure you shouldn't mm-hmm. just try eating healthy or doing yoga? And I know that's super insensitive. I had cancer. Like, I, I understand that there's a lot of suspicion around pharmaceutical industries, and I agree some of it is really well-deserved. But when it comes to cancer... You know, you can't think it away or, or eat it away with supplements, right? Like, you, you need treatment. Right. Well, you know, the, uh, the best cancer doctors, I mean, you, what do you think about this? But I think um, the best cancer doctors don't make it an either-or. I mean, I was asking No, no, you... they make it a big, you're right. The biggest, the best thing is a holistic sort of approach to the person, to what they need, um, but, you know, if somebody chooses to take chemotherapy, nobody's choosing it because there's, you know, an alternative out there that's, that's much better. Like, nobody wants chemo. Right. But, I mean, did your, did your doctor or, I mean, I agree, it's, you know, <laughs> to tell the person that what they're doing to, to cure their cancer is not as good as something else or not the right thing mm-hmm. um, is very counterproductive because, Psychological. I mean, that's why I was asking you before about psychotherapy and guided imagery. I mm-hmm. have experience in, um, well, obviously doing psychotherapy, but yeah. but in in recommending to people with cancer or other serious illnesses, um, therapy, psychotherapy, and um, uh, guided imagery, which is waking dreams. It's getting people to relax. I mean, uh, similar kinds of things um, would be yoga or would be. Um, meditation and so on. And I totally agree with that, especially as an adjunct of treatment because, you know, because cancer is mentally demanding. And the, and the, you know, the ideas behind guided imagery are if you put yourself in a mentally good place, you definitely reduce your risk of things like infection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just I think we all know stress is not good for the body, and a cancer patient's body is exceptionally stressed. So ideas like uh, and practices like guided imagery are completely useful. But I don't think you can do guided imagery to cure somebody of cancer. <laughs> you mean without, without other things? Without other things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we need to take another break. Um, my guest is Dr. Nikhil Joshi. His book is called The End of Suffering. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The show is called The Gift of Suffering Today, and my guest, Dr. Nikhil Joshi, has been giving us a gift, uh, revealing the intimate details of his um, life and his... um, struggle or his going from the darkness to the light and uh, writing about it in his book called The End of Suffering. And during the break, when he brought it up, you know, the things that people shouldn't say to cancer patients, I actually hadn't thought of it before, but when he mentioned one of the things that people said to him that they shouldn't have said was asking him if he heard from his ex, and of course that made me want to know. (laughs) So during the break, I uh, insensitively... Um, asked him, I, at least I was sensitive enough to not ask on the air, and um, Dr. Yoshi said that he had sent her an email to telling her that he had cancer, and she sent an email back wishing him a speedy recovery. Do you believe that? So I told him that that, that was a gift, actually, um, because it should have made him, and it did make him realize that that was not someone he wanted as a fiancé or a wife. I mean, wow. That, I'm about to get an email after this interview, Karen. <laughs> well, uh, good, because um, that is so incredibly insensitive. I don't care if there were things that you did. You know, there are things in any relationship that people do that make each other angry or resentful or whatever, but when your ex whether it's a fiancé or just some guy you, or girl you dated for a while, they tell you they have cancer, um, y- they deserve a better response than, I wish you a speedy recovery. That, that's just unbelievable. <laughs> wow, well, this, is, this has been the best thing for me for a long time. <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> because, wow. Um, Okay, what are some of the other things? Maybe you're afraid to tell me now. Oh, uh, no, I told you everything now, Carol. You, might, you can know anything you want. <laughs> uh, another thing I think uh, that was funny was people would say, uh, you know, how are your parents doing? And mm-hmm. I said, oh, they're so excited I have cancer. <laughs> and then obviously people would just find that really uncomfortable as an answer. Um, uh-huh. So, I mean, I, I think what's helpful to say yes. is... I, I had a, 
I had a friend phone me, and we had a normal conversation. We talked about football. I'm a big Tony Romo fan. I'm sure now all your listeners hate me, but that's fine. I was a big Tony Romo fan. I list, I was, we were watching some football. He called me about it, and we just spoke about that. We spoke about normal, everyday people things, and I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And, and then my, some of my friends would gossip with me about what was going on at work, and I really liked that, too. And maybe that makes me a petty, small person, but... I enjoy being in the loop, and I enjoy hearing about somebody else's problems. Mm-hmm. I enjoy all the normal, regular things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. What else? What else should people say? That was helpful or yeah. not helpful? Yeah, no, helpful. That was helpful. I think uh, another thing that, uh, that people did rather than said was they, uh, a lot of my friends were very helpful when it came to understanding what I like. So I love food. I'm a foodie. And one of the big things when I, you're getting chemotherapy is that you can't be or you shouldn't be out in a crowded restaurant. Mm. You don't know who's handling your food. You have a weakened mm. immune system. Not a great thing. So what my friends did was they went to my favorite restaurant and they found me a table and they talked to the owners and they talked to everybody. And then they, you know, I would come in for lunch probably about once or twice a week there uh, with them, and they would give me just like they would give me food that was fit for a cancer patient. So what that means was the dishes were washed down, people wore gloves, huh. everybody went the extra mile to make sure, you know, I wouldn't get gastroenteritis and end up in the ICU. Wow. And what is your favorite food? My favorite food's pasta. I would just, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> So it's basically, it's things that, um, it's treating you not like an alien, but like someone who, trying to contain, continue to have a, um, a normal, as normal as possible, a relationship with you to show you that they care and that, um, and that they, you know, they're not going to, I mean, isn't it, one of the fears that cancer patients have is um, that they're going to, because, because it's a realistic fear, that they're ostrac- going to be ostracized. Yes, yeah. And I, that is a realistic fear because you look different, you are different. You know, you can't be in a crowded place anymore. You can't, you aren't, you aren't regular you, you're fragile cancer you. Mm-hmm. And that weighs on somebody after a while. Well, and also people become frightened, like, you know, are you going to die and does that mean they're going to lose you? Mm-hmm. And so some people um, distance themselves from yeah. the more they love you in a way for some people who, you know, aren't sensitive enough to know not to do this. But, but sometimes they can't help doing it. If they're afraid that they're going to lose you, they're, they start to try to distance themselves so that the pain isn't going to be that much. Yeah, Absolutely. Did that? Did that? Did anyone do that to you? Yeah, one of my uh, one of my close friends who I went to medical school with did that, and uh, I eventually um, gave him a. Uh, I eventually called him, and he said, "Hey, you know, I'm really sorry. It's just we. we in fact, we both lost a, a friend to cancer earlier in medical mm. school. I just didn't want to go through that again." Huh. I said, "Yeah, that's great, but uh, this has nothing to do with you. <laughs> this isn't about you at all. It's about me." Uh-huh. And then he laughed and he said, yeah, you're right, it's about you, and I suck. And I said, yeah, you suck. And now, like, come over and, like, come over and talk to me. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I think he needed to hear that, and I think I needed to say that. 
Yes, that was a um, yeah, that was a good way of dealing with that. It seems like that's kind of how, like we you were talking about before about being real. It seems like that's yeah. how you that's been sort of a coping mechanism that you've used in a lot of the examples that you gave, and and is a good way for people with cancer or or some other serious illness to deal with this, to deal with the social aspects of it. Absolutely. So what else? We only have, uh, we're kind of coming to the end. Of course, I'm going to give out, uh, tell people where they can get the book and so on, but, or I'll have you do that, but what else in the last few minutes would you like to tell people? I think what I'd like to tell people is that the book isn't really about cancer. And it's not about cancer it's not about me, and it's not about heartbreak. What it's really about is that we're human beings, and we all suffer. Some people are victims of sexual assault. Some people lose a child to a childhood illness. But the hurt we go through is the same. And, like, I wrote this book for myself because I needed to find some compassion for me. And... That's what it's all about. I, I mean, I don't know your listeners, and I don't know you, but I, I know we're both human beings, and I'm sure you've gone through something. And is it so hard for us to care about each other, you know, and to just care that we, I don't know, that we do well, that we want the best for each other? I, I find, I really find compassion to yourself and to others the only way you get through any of these big things. Yes, I totally agree. And we can talk, if there's time, we can talk a little more about that, but I want to make sure we get in. Where do you want people to go to get the book? Amazon. Okay. That's the cheapest you're going to find it. (laughs) But it's also in bookstores, right? Yep, Barnes & Noble and uh, Chapters. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Mm -hmm. And... um, but, yeah, let's go back to, to, for whatever time we have left, let's go back to the compassion thing. Because sometimes, you know, it's like when a, when a serious, like 9-11 or um, some other catastrophe, um, mm. you know, or, or even like Don Sterling, um, you know, which puts some team members more, giving more compassion to each other than they might have, mm-hmm. or, or, even, or even opposing team members. I mean, you know, sometimes when there are big things in the news that are big things, that big tragedies, or even the weather, you know, when there's mm-hmm. these crazy storms and so on, then it, it sometimes takes that, it often takes something like that to bring people together, to show compassion for each other. And, it, and, you know, you have to look at it and say, why can't we just be like this all the time, every day? The world would be such a better place. Absolutely. And, and it starts, but it starts with us having that discussion here, right? So now people are thinking about it on their way home. They're thinking about, can I just let this guy in, in from traffic? Can I just let this guy merge in my lane without, you know, nailing my horn? Can I go home and watch my kid play Little League and not scream at the ref? Can I just, for one minute, not criticize or be angry and just try and want the best for another human being? And... Um, and isn't that, well, you know, that's really what, what it's all about, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Some people say that that's what heaven is like, and we, sh- we're, we should be able um, to create heaven on earth in that way. Well, Dr. Nikhil Joshi, thank you so much for being on the show. You've really given us shared humor and wisdom and, and, um, and, and intimacy, intimate moments, intimate uh, dis- 
intimate, let us into what you've been going through, and uh, we've all gained so much more by, uh, by hearing you. And, and I want to again say the name of the book. Uh, if you if you think that uh, Dr. Joshi was wa- was wise in what he was talking about on the show, you will want more wisdom in his book. The book is called The End of Suffering. You can get it on Amazon. Yes, that is the, probably the least expensive, but also in Barnes and Noble and Chapters. So thank you again, Dr. Joshi, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 